doesn't disappoint. Yes, thank you, Lord. Philippians 3 says, For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. That's what we hope for. For reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. And the laws of the Lord are true. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb.
What can the righteous accomplish when truth's pillars are destroyed and law and order collapse? Yet the eternal one is never shaken. He is still found in his temple of holiness, reigning as Lord and King over all. He is closely watching everything that happens, and with a glance his eyes examine every heart. For his heavenly rule will prevail over all. So, Father, we say that we will not be afraid, but we will focus on you and and your laws and your decrees. Because you are the eternal one. You are never shaken. We will never be shaken. And if we are born again, we are his temple of holiness. And so, Lord, we just invite you to reign over all part of us. And we just say, Lord, examine our hearts and change us where we need to be changed. We just thank you, Father, that you do prevail over all. So blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. For he can do all things, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. preface this with please remember the good things you just heard the uplifting things but sometimes our our father will punish us in the old testament book first samuel chapter 8 god explains it as that it is he that the people are rejecting as their true king and tells samuel to warn the israelites that an earthly king will take their sons for his wars and their daughters for his pleasure. Their property and everything they produce will be taken for the king, taken from by the king for his own use and dispensed to his friends as political patronage. You're your, you yourselves, the Lord warns, I can't talk, warns through Samuel will become slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you.
Lord, your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Our soul yearns for you in the night and in the morning. Our spirit longs for you. And when your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. Second Timothy 2, 14 through 26. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge, charge them in the presence of God to not wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of, of hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves, approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will, sp will spread like gangrene. Among them are uh, Hermanius and Philetus, anyway. <laughs> Men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that at the resurrection... As all, that saying that the, that the resurrection has already taken place and that they upset the faith of some. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is abstained from wickedness. Now in a large house there are only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But foolish refuse, but foolish but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they only produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him who do his will. Psalms 33, 18 through 21. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts rejoice in him because we trust him. In his holy name. Lord, this morning as your ecclesia, we proclaim 
your kingship on this earth. We proclaim that you are bringing revival to America. We proclaim that you are bringing massive revival to the earth. So we speak Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in heaven shall laugh. The Lord will have them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. This day I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O all you kings. Be instructed, all you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and all of you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. says, therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf. And I would add, don't lose heart on the tribulations that are coming to us, for they are your glory. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. The words to that, those scriptures have been just filling me for, for the last, probably for the last four years. And each time I read them, I get another glimpse of who I am in Christ Jesus demons of hell you have no authority over me over the children of the living God none whatsoever and Paul goes on to say to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that we might be filled up to all the fullness of God so now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think and the things I've been asking God for lately are Lord, do I dare ask this? And then uh, he shouts at me. He says, of course you do. Ask and you'll receive. Ask and you'll receive. He gives us measures of, of faith. I see that word measures. He gives grace in measures. He gives faith in measures. And he wants us to start by asking. And then little by little, he strengthens us and empowers us in his word. So according to that power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And James says that every good, every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And another scripture says 
and God gave gifts to men. He wants us to have gifts, as many as we desire, as many what we want. And he wants us to reach out. But I listened to a teaching the other day that, uh, that resonated with me. That says God is in, God is in heaven and he give, sends down these gifts to men. God is in the third heaven, but it has to go through the, the second heaven, the atmosphere where resides the devil and his angels because he is the prince and the power of the air. It's so important for us as believers to make sure that we hold close accounts with God and confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we have a clear path between those gifts into our heart that God might manifest them in us and bring glory to his ecclesia and prepare us for the trouble to come, prepare us to walk in this great awakening that he is about to bestow on mankind. I'm, each time I'm, I'm in, in the Word, I, I'm just absolutely blown away with what I have available. And I'm not timid anymore in asking. Ask, he says, ask and you will receive. Anybody else hearing something from the Lord that you would like to speak out? Not really, but I will. Um, the journey that the Lord has had me on this past year has kind of come to a head over the past few days and I didn't even know what it was that he was doing until he brought it all together for me and what he's been doing is maturing me lordy lordy I'm 71 you'd have thought I'd already been there and I've loved Jesus since I was seven but as Dale and I were talking today it's always line upon line and precept upon precept and here a little and there a little and he's not going to be finished with me until the day of Jesus Christ. And, and when I look at Ephesians chapter 4, 
and start with verse 11 and recognize that God gives gifts to the church. And he gives apostles and prophets, and he gives pastors and teachers, and he gives evangelists. And I believe that I have a gifting and an anointing of teaching. And one of the things that I am passionate about is that I would, from Hebrews, be able to motivate and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's part of what I want to do. It's just a passion in me. Um, and, and when you look at, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but go back and look at Ephesians 4 and start with verse 11. And he, it's saying that he's going to do these. It, I'll, I'll read this part. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come together in such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Anybody who says that those are not gifts for today, I want them to show me where the church has fully matured. I want them to show that to me. But then he goes on to talk about um, speak the truth in love, growing in every way mature and more like Christ, who is the head of, the, of, this, of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I cannot help you grow if I am pretending to be something that I'm not. I have to be honest and true to who God says that I am. I can't operate. And, and down here, what made me think about this passage of Scripture, because it says, Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous, and stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And I don't think we understand that we're lying. When we pretend to be something that we aren't, when we are trying to be super spiritual, when inside we're just little babies, we, it, it doesn't mature the body. And that's what the Lord has been showing me. I asked a question over a little bit over a year ago. What does my heart want? I was prompted to ask that question. As soon as I asked that question, this is the words that the Lord gave me. I want to be done and I want to know it's okay with you, Daddy, that I be done. And he's taken me on a journey this year of all the things that it's okay for me to be done with. It's a lot of stuff. I did two whole pages of I'm done's. And I've been using it in my counseling ministry this week. I want you to think about it and ask God to show you what do you need to be done with. Because it's not people I'm going to be done with but how I'm engaging with people. It needs to change because he says over here, so get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's what maturity is going to look like. I'm not going to get to keep operating in this childish way of thinking and reasoning. He's changing me. It's, it's going to take until the day of Jesus Christ, and none of us are going to be finished before that time. That's encouraging to me 
because I sometimes think I'm 71. I've been doing this since I was seven. I love Jesus. Why am I not? But I am getting it. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. When he shows you something, there needs to be an adjustment. And I make a little adjustment every single day. Think about where I'm at after 60-some years of, of following Jesus. I'm not even close to the same person, but I still have a long way to go. And Paul said that too. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit, but the enemy sure wants me to. And he wants you to. All of us are maturing in our faith. Be honest and true to who God says that you are. And stop trying to impress people. And stop trying to pretend that you're something that you're not. Because you're going to miss what it is that God wants you to do. Anybody else have a word? Scripture? Prayer? Quite a few uh, moments ago, I was led to just the very last passage, scripture, verse of the book of Revelation. Does anybody know it right off the top of their head? That's in that end, but the very last verse is, and and I've been pondering this when I was led to read this probably 25 minutes ago or so. It ends with this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is so long and difficult to remember. Let me read that again. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Literally, some older manuscripts on the word all says all the saints. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. I mean, what a wonderful way to close the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I've just been pondering this, and I think there's a lot in this whole verse, but one of the things that was coming to me, and I'll, I'll just paraphrase this, is that all grace has already been given. Oh, that got you excited, right? You're just running around the building. All grace has already been given to all the saints. That's my message today. Y'all just go. What is grace? Yes. All of it has already been given to us. Now think of this. That's the last statement of the entire book of Revelation. Whatever you think about that book. It's not striking you yet, is it? Do you know we have a decision every day to make? especially right now in our times that we live in, to be overcome with the issues and the oppression and the depression that is so spiritual and heavy or to rise above it and take control of it. 
in our personal lives. We have that choice and that decision. That's the kind of power we have as believers. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks within, within himself, so is he. It is not who, we, who or what we really are that's going to make a d- difference in our life. It's what we believe about who or what we are. Can the waitress bring in some more coffee? I think we need some more coffee this morning. Oh, sorry. I, that's what I just said. I didn't even use your name. So, <laughs> hey, First Peter, mention it, Cherie, would you go? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, First Peter, let me read something here. You all know it. Y'all can quote it. This is verse 3. Seeing that his, God's divine power, has, past tense, granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness through Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this question. What is it that he's left out that you need for your life and to live that life in a godly manner? Amen. Amen. Another definition of grace is this. I use this one all the time. It is God's enabling power to do in us and through us what we cannot do on our own. It's his power in us and working through us to do what we cannot do on our own. Now, this is not popular But there's no passage in Scripture that I'm aware of that you pray and ask God for grace. But I hear that all the time in Christian circles. God, give me your grace. There's no Scripture that says pray for grace. Grace comes because God's lavishly poured it upon us. Grace really is received. Another way that grace functions or how we receive grace is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, by grace... Through faith. And I liken it to this. It's like plumbing. Everybody understand plumbing? You have a pipe, water goes through it. You connect plumbing together, or whether it be electrical or whatever it is, you connect it so it becomes a channel that water can flow through. Faith is like that pipe. You connect that channel of faith, grace flows. No faith, no grace. But what is faith? Here's something else that's so misunderstood in the body of Christ. Faith is not confessing what you want to happen. It's not repeating it, convincing yourself of it, trying to get you to get all doubt removed from your mind. 
the reason why I mentioned some of these things is because I wore myself slick when I was a young Christian doing all of this stuff. <laughs> Mental gymnastics, removing doubt from my mind, all this stuff. To be positive, right? We can only speak positive. We can only, don't, don't say you're sick. Oh no, because that's not faith. No, I'll tell you what's, what it is. If you're sick and you say you're not sick, it's lying. That's what that is. <laughs> Saying you're sick is not a lack of faith. Saying, hey, I'm sick. I got a disease. I got cancer. I got whatever else has attacked my body. But God says this. And I'm going to trust what God says over what the doctors say or what's happening in my body. So faith is simply, it's so simple, I think we miss it sometimes. Faith, you, we cannot have faith for something God did not say. Because faith is initiated, it begins, it starts with what God says, what he's promised. So when we have God's word on it, now we have something solid, we have a foundation for faith. Abraham's such a great example, right? He was childless, him and Sarah both. God says, you're going to have a baby. He waited to make it completely impossible in the natural. Abraham did not start calling himself Abraham because he thought it was a good idea and got his confession right. Abraham changed his name to Abraham and started using that term because God said so. He had God's word on it, so now he can confess and speak what God told him, even though he didn't have a child yet. It says, in hope against hope. Hope was, in the natural, it's completely impossible. We're facing things in our nation, in the natural, it's impossible. But if that's all we focus on is the natural, we're going to be defeated before we begin. We're going to be overcome. We're going to succumb to oppression, depression. And you know what's going to come out of our mouth? All of that yuck. All the time. No hope. It's over. All of these things. I'm not saying that we lie about it because we need to understand what's actually going on, what's happening. A digital dollar is coming. It's already out there. It's already happened. It's coming. But if we succumb to that, that's control. That is complete control of our life when it becomes, because it's going to be a programmable digital dollar to shut your money off, to geofence it, that you can only purchase things. That's the plan. So we need the strategy and wisdom of God of what he's saying, because I don't live by this kingdom. I live by another kingdom that trumps this kingdom. But if we're focused all on the, the yuck, the, the stuff, and we are not hearing clearly of what God is actually saying, we can, we can banter it, we can use all kinds of, of our own words. You know Gideon, everybody knows the story of Gideon, right? So Gideon, God had Gideon pair his army way down, right? How many were left? 300. Not only that, they were sent out to battle without weapons. Do you remember what they were sent out with? They were sent out with a lantern and a trumpet. A horn. Seriously? You are going to battle with just 300 guys that have a trumpet in one hand and a lantern in the other. 
Now, I've been in the military, and I was taught some desert warfare and also some warfare in woods. You don't shine a light. It gives your location away. Matter of fact, everything. We, uh, when I first went in, we had white T-shirts. They turned them to brown because white, you can see that. All of our uh, insignias went black instead of the chrome. Because every little thing shined, it reflected. But what does God do? The exact opposite of what's normal, natural. Carry a light. Another thing I learned, you don't make noise. (laughs) And God has them carrying a horn. A horn and a light. I'm telling you, that would just so mess with my mind if I, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, Gideon. You are not listening to the Lord on this deal. That would have been a rough one for me. <laughs> I'm just, a, but what does a horn and what does a lantern represent? Hearing and seeing. Hearing and seeing. Hearing and seeing. They were victorious. Why? Because they heard and they spoke. They saw and they did. Jesus said this himself, I only say what I hear the Father saying, I only do what I see him doing. That is, if you want to say it this way, the recipe, the formula for success. That's why we focus so much here in this congregation on what is God actually saying. Apart from our emotions, apart from our will, apart from our own strategies, our own lusts and desires, what is he actually saying? Because it can go so against all of that, and it doesn't make any sense. But we've got to hear what God is actually saying. Now, here's what he already said. Grace is available for you. It comes through faith. Faith is that currency in the kingdom. Everything we receive is by faith, which is what? Trusting, having trust and confidence in God. It's not having trust and confidence in what I believe. It's not having trust and confidence in my confession. It's trust and confidence in the very character of God. Because he says what he means, and he means what he says. And he can be counted on. If everything else, all men could be a liar, but God is absolutely true. Everybody can be saying exactly opposite of what the scripture says, but it's the scripture that is absolutely true. It is absolute truth for all people in all places at all times. He is the answer for everything we need right now, right here in America, in Missouri, in our locales, politically, in the business realm, in the education realm, everything. But we need men and women that can hear and see what God is showing us, what God is saying, and then have the courage and boldness to say it and do it. That's part of what we're practicing here on Sunday morning. That's why this is so valuable and important. Steve?
Mm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's a fact. A couple um, announcements. The National Day of Prayer is this Thursday. National Day of Prayer. We're not hosting it, but it is going to be hosted in Independence at the Convergence Point, which is in the, 20, uh, the Nolan and I-70 area. There's uh, a flyer actually on the bulletin board, not on the uh, table. If you're interested in being part of that, it starts at 6.30 Thursday evening. Um, and then for my campaign, I'm holding um, a fundraiser. Dinesh D'Souza is releasing his brand new documentary, 2,000 Mules. And uh, we're going to be showing that the night that it is being released. Um, I know Christine's been working with Dinesh's wife on that. And that'll be this Saturday. It's going to be in Lee Summit. We're not releasing the exact location except for those who register. Uh, but it's at a very nice venue that's this Saturday. I know it's Mother's Day weekend. I'm not sure why they decided to release that video on Mother's Day weekend, but they did. And uh, I know it's not real convenient for everybody, So, but that's Saturday, and that begins at 6.30. If you're interested, please let me know, and I'll give you um, an email address to contact Christine about that. I'm looking forward to, uh, to his documentary. Dinesh puts out... How many of you have seen some of Dinesh's stuff? Yeah, I think most of you. He puts out fabulous, fabulous stuff. Um, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to continue a little bit, kind of where I left off last week. So we've discussed a lot of things concerning um, spiritual warfare. Where is spiritual warfare? Where does the battlefield, biblically speaking, where does it take place? That's right, between the ears. It's right here. There's a little uh, couple words, uh, part of a scripture, that's always very stuck out to me, and I used it in the last couple weeks, and it has to do with David. When David went to uh, the battle, and his, he was bringing basically some food, some sandwiches to his brothers. He had, you know, a bunch of baggage. And that little phrase says, he left his baggage. And then he went into the battle. And really, that's a, a simplistic way of what to say what we're really talking about. Because when you're in, and we're in war, actually when we're born... When you're born as a human, you are born into violent warfare. We are. A spiritual, violent warfare. And when we receive Christ, we get our stripes. And we become a soldier in his army. And you can tell from this passage, let's just read this. This is verse 3 of chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh or natural... We walk in the natural. We do not war according to the natural. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the natural, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Notice the warlike language in this, this passage. War, warfare, weapons, 
fortresses or strongholds. There's four, at least four different war-like language in this passage. And it's talking about what? Speculations. We're going to get into that. Taking thoughts. Where are thoughts happening? They're not out here. They're between the ears. As a man thinks within himself, so is he. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they lose from that moment of sin? They lost Zoe, the Zoe life of God. They lost, Zoe is the exact, not an imitation, it is the exact life of God. It's the same life God has within himself. It's the same life Jesus had within himself when he walked the earth. That's what was lost in the garden because of sin. When that type of life was lost and that corruption came and set in, the connection to God through Zoe was severed. And now what man had to do is look within himself and the world around him using human reasoning to be able to determine what was true, what was not true, what was, what was a lie. And humanism was, was given birth to So man looked within himself and used human reasoning to try to figure things out. Had to look within himself for meaning, for purpose, identity. Boy, do we have an identity crisis. You know, when I wrote my book on identity, we had an identity crisis. But boy, do we have an identity crisis today. So bad when, when some people have no idea if they're a male or female. That's a huge, massive identity crisis. Had to look within himself for the meaning of what truth is. You remember Pontius Pilate when he had Jesus and he's questioning him. He said, what is truth? Why? Because a standard was severed. Because God is truth. Jesus is truth. That Zoe life was truth. We, we, we discovered that Zoe life is the light of men. It's that life within us. That causes us to be light. The life of God, Zoe life of God, causes us to be light. It is what nations are going to be attracted to us because of that Zoe life. Not because we carry a Bible, not because we go to church services, and not because we pray or wear a Christian t-shirt. Because we're living in Zoe life. The same life of God is emanating from us. At that moment of sin, man became ruled by the soul and not by the spirit. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. Today, even in Christendom, it has been my experience that many discern, not all, but many discern the voice of God by the soul. Whether it's God speaking or not, I've heard many, many times, I'm sure I've done it myself, prophesied by the soul and not the spirit. Prayed according to the soul and not the spirit. Preached a message according to the soul and not the spirit. What am I saying? We are discerning sometimes the voice of God based on how I feel about it, my emotion. Sometimes we determine whether or discern whether it's the voice of God by how I think about it. Whether what I'm hearing 
aligns with what I already believe. I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of things from God that went contrary to what I believe. And I didn't automatically accept it because there's many voices out there, but we have somewhere we can go. Like last week, I talked about that standard with a ruler measuring this, 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 the platform here on this podium, because we can all guess how long this is from my hand to my hand. And we did that exercise last week, right? But what ends the argument when we bring a standard, a, me- a ruler, and we measure it, and whatever it says, we agree on, or we're just lunatics, and we just say whatever we want to say anyway. So man began to look within himself, began to dis- the, dis- the, uh, discern the voice of God and, and what's truth, what's not truth, all now coming from the soul, the mind, the way we believe about things. Our will, what we want to do. You know, when I, was a, when I first became a Christian, this, this was automatic. Like, nobody taught me this. I just assumed this, that God will always ask me to do what I want to do. Was anybody else like that at all besides me? That only happened once. When he, uh, when he spoke to me to start, was start my small business, that was something I already wanted to do. Everything else, now, I was really nervous about asking Renee to marry me because you've heard the story because she didn't like me and want me in her life. So I was nervous about it. But I would say I wanted to do that one too. But most everything else, I never really wanted to do. But somehow, when I was a baby Christian, I was convinced that that's what, because God's for me and he wants, he's going to have me do things I want to do. In other words, we have this selfish thing that like God's our genie in the bottle. And we go to him and we, we, we kind of use him as that genie. To get and to do the things that we want. And actually it's completely the opposite. But without that kind of genie. We're his servants. That's, that's what we signed up for. When we received him. We, we, this is our initiate. We are dying to self. And we're taking on your life. Your will not our will. That's how Jesus lived right. But in the meantime. And I know Sheila kind of reference this and what she was saying this morning because sanctification and holiness is is a lifelong process becoming more and more like christ i love how paul said this i labor among you until christ is formed in you he's talking to believers he's not talking about the world those who don't know christ i've labored among you until what christ is formed in you And see, when we cooperate with the Lord in our life, that forming happens faster. When we fight it, week in and week out, year in and year out, nobody share a testimony. It takes longer. I've seen people come to the Lord and grow so rapidly fast. You know what one of the reasons reasons for that is? Is because they just become obedient. When God says this, they do it. They read in the scripture, oh, I'm supposed to forgive? They get on the phone and start forgiving people. I've seen it happen so many different times. And people grow. There's bam, bam, bam. 
They're just being obedient to the Lord. You know when I've, heard, when I've seen people stop and plateau, and they never plateau. You either, you either are progressing in your relationship with the Lord or you're regressing. Is when God is speaking to them and they won't do it. What's that? Going up a down escalator? There you go. I'm glad you explained that because you know me. I was having a rough time figuring that one out. I really was. So, was that, Yeah. <laughs> Let's look at Romans 12. Uh, you can hold your place in 2 Corinthians 10, but let's look at Romans 12. I talked about this, but I, I think it bears re- some repeating. This is, you, you know, all scripture is fascinating. And this one's a fascinating one because it's a scripture. Just, you know. Is it hot in here or is it just me? Like, I am burning up. Maybe these extra few steps got me closer to the heat. I don't know. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you. It doesn't say I suggest to you. It doesn't say I think this would probably be a good idea. You might want to contemplate this. I plead. It's good. I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God, present your bodies or life, the totality of your life, a living and holy sacrifice. See, there's a huge difference between sacrifices. See, if it's a living sacrifice, then that means it's moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month. If you give your life to be killed, it's a one-time event. But a living sacrifice goes on, regardless of what we're going through. It doesn't give us an out. Oh, okay, you had this going on in your life. Well, we'll give you, you know, a week off. No, it's every day. Regardless of what we're going through, what we're facing. I don't want to minimize the things people go through, we all go through. But as far as Scripture is concerned, it doesn't put a qualifier on there. It's, it's through everything. All the time. To, to present our, the totality of our being. A living and holy sacrifice that is acceptable to God. What does that mean? That means he determines what's acceptable. We don't determine, well, God, I'm doing this for you, so I'm being accepted. No, he determines what that is. Therefore, we need to know what he's saying. Well, he's already said, because this is for all people in all places at all times, but then it's personal. 
See, there's personal things for me to continue living as a holy and acceptable sacrifice to God on a daily basis that would be different than yours because he spoke them to me and then vice versa. He determines what's acceptable, acceptable to God, not acceptable to you or me. Which also means man's not your judge in this matter. God's your judge in this matter. You know, several years back, it became really huge to me, made a huge difference to me when I made this one adjustment, that I'm living my life before an audience of one. Period. That was huge for me. You know why? Because as a younger man, I was always concerned about what other people thought, how I was perceived. I still have a little bit of a speech impediment sometimes. I go over my words. It used to be really bad when I was younger. Most people thought I was shy. No, I just didn't want to be embarrassed. So I kept my mouth shut when I was around people a lot of times because I was concerned what other people thought about me. Even when I got into the ministry, I was still concerned about what other people thought. How I was dressed, how I did my hair, how I spoke, how I didn't speak, all of these kinds of things. It'll wear you out when you're like that. It will wear you plumb silly. Well, through a series of things, but one of them was that adjustment the Lord dealt with me in my life is you're living before an audience of one. I'm the only one going to be standing there on the day of judgment. Nobody else is standing with you. Their opinions don't matter. <laughs> that kind of comes across kind of rude maybe or egotistical, but it's true. I'm not saying I don't want to be liked. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, it makes, and I hope you're like this, and if not, that you become like this, that it's so much more important what God thinks than what anybody else thinks. And can I go this far as say, including your spouse? It's what he thinks, what he says. That's extra. There's no extra cost for that. That wasn't even part of my message today. <laughs> Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present the totality of your life a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is what? Yeah, wh whatever translation you have, mine says, because it's the most holy and righteous version of the Bible. <laughs> it says spiritual service of what? What's this beautiful word? Worship. Worship. Here's what I really want us to see is the connection scripturally with presenting the totality of our life in a holy, acceptable, pleasing manner before the Lord is worship. That's what the Bible says. It ties worship with the presenting of our whole body, our whole being, our whole life. It doesn't say singing a song is worship. 
playing music. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But what is worship? Let's read this together. I'll read it in totality. I'll try it without stopping. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present the totality of your life, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now notice, bringing this second verse in, that presenting our bodies, our our life, the totality of our life, as a holy and acceptable uh, offering, sacrifice to the Lord, is worship But to do that is not to be conformed, pressed, squeezed into the world's mold of what the world says you should be, think like, and do. But how are are we going to overcome that by being transformed by the way we think? By the renewing of our mind. Let me ask you a question here. How do we do that? How do we renew our mind? Word of God. Compliance. How do we do it? By the Holy Spirit. What's that? Spending time with God in prayer. I'm sorry, say that again. Yeah, good. Yes, Sheila. Yeah, Jenna. Good, very good. Yeah, Rusty. I was thinking also that 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, Marianne. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, good. Really good. Yeah, Bobby. Every thought and word captive. Excellent. Rusty brought up a really good point. Because the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is something. Does anybody know what that is? Is what? Fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Reverence. What's that? An awe, a respect. Hmm. Good. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Right. That's right. Amen. Amen. So there's a humility that's required of being teachable. Which means, gosh, I hate saying this. I could be wrong. We'll let you know. I could be wrong. Sometimes things with the Lord, you've, those of you that have been with the Lord for a long time, and most of you in this room have, you've probably discovered something like what I'm about to say. Is that you believe something about the Lord, and you know it's true, and you have scripture on it. And then all of a sudden, what kind of happens sometimes is the Lord wants to add to that revelation, but it feels like what you had been believing was not true. That I see a lot of heads going, yep. Because that's exactly what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to add to it. Give us some more understanding. It's not necessarily what we were believing was wrong but it was maybe incomplete. And really, we could probably say that about everything, right? Because no matter what we know about anything, we know in part and we prophesy in part. So let's talk a little bit as we close today, and you know, we have like a three-and-a-half-hour closing window here. A little bit more about the renewing of the mind. So in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let's go back to that verse. And personally, I really believe this is 
you know, and, and we've, we've talked about this a few times, because of the events that have been unfolded in the last couple of years and the things that we're facing, there are certain scriptures that become, let's just say, more real, more important than maybe they have been in the past. This is certainly one of them. Because we are facing so much propaganda, so many lies coming from so many different directions, that it really can be overwhelming if we don't stay abiding in the vine and listening to the one voice and seeing what and, and hearing what he has to say. Oh, I'm not there. Okay. So many times we pull scriptures out and we don't always talk about the full context of the of the scripture and how it was given. And uh, a lot of times when I this is Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse three that we read earlier, three, four, five, and six. That we pull this out, this section, a little bit out of context. But let me just give you the backstory in case you're not familiar with it, right off the top of your head. But Paul, and he does this in, I think, three, maybe four letters. The saints in Jerusalem are going through a lot of persecution and um, a famine of sorts, and they're in desperate need. And Paul had been on an ongoing, repetitive time collecting finances for them. And so he was talking about collecting money for the saints in Jerusalem. The church at Corinth, or the ecclesia at Corinth, had given their word that they would donate. But they hadn't yet. And so in this letter, he's reminding them. That's why this last part of this verse, in verse 6, it says, we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. He's re specifically referring to their word, because they gave a pledge to give money to the saints for Jerusalem, and they're about ready to collect, and he's talking about, you're the one that pledged it, we didn't tell you to, we're not forcing you to, you said you were going to do this, so now we're holding your feet to the fire. So this is the context that this kind of comes out in, as well as, and Paul refers to this earlier, he says, because he had been made fun of, more than once, and he said, in, in context of this, and it's in, uh, I don't remember, it's in chapter 8 or chapter 9, he said, uh, they're saying that I'm really strong and bold when I write letters, but I'm weak when I'm face to face. Okay, so we've got those two things going on here. He's reminding the Corinthian ecclesia, you have pledged donation money, so you need to be you need to follow through with this. And then he's also addressing those that are attacking him saying, "Boy, his letters are real strong, they're weighty, but his personal appearance, his words, all of these things, they're contemptible. He's just weak in person." And Paul says this, for though we walk in the natural, we don't war according to the natural. 
Now think about that in the con- just the little snippet of context I gave you. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not of the natural. You see, sometimes when people are speaking, they think, boy, he's loud and he's brash and he's charismatic and all of this stuff. You know what that is? It's weapons of the natural. Paul goes, our weapons aren't of the natural. Remember, they said, your letters are real strong and weighty. But when you show up in person, you're like Johnny Milktoast. And he's reminding believers, our weapons are not natural. See, what are natural in this kind of context? What are some natural weapons? Learning? Credentials? Endorsements? See, this all speaks in the natural realm. Is God concerned really? In other words, let me put it this way. Does that imp- all those things really impress God? But they impress what? People in the natural. I'm not saying that they're not worth anything. Don't misunderstand me. Humility in the kingdom is great. Humility in the natural is weakness. This is what Paul's talking about. You want me to come with a fist and a club and start? Because that's power, right? That shows strength in the natural. But our weapons aren't of the natural. Now, I'm sure I could probably answer for you. Paul accomplished a lot. (laughs) The miracles, signs, the wonders, the healing. For though we're walking on this earth in the natural, we're not warring according to the natural. We're not depending on our natural warfare, weapons of warfare. In whatever realm you want to take it, whether it's communication, politics, education. You see, for a believer, there's a a realm here that I think we need to really understand. Because if we just step out all natural, look, we can make all kinds of things happen because we're Americans and we have a lot of resources. And God not be in any of it. Hello? We can build big buildings. We can fill them with people. We can get some of the best musicians, smoke machines, lights, video screen. We can do all of that stuff. And, huh? Huh? I don't look good in skinny jeans. I'm sorry. I'm just like, yeah, most of the guys don't. But see, and I'm not, I'm not discounting like that's all worthless. I'm just saying when it becomes all of that, that's all natural. And we can do all of that stuff because we have the resources in America. We can put on a show without the Holy Spirit. 
It is being done and has been done for years. But see, that's all natural. Paul's saying, our warfare is not of this world. It's not natural. It's spiritual. This is all part of changing the way we think. Humility is great strength. Having the timing of what to say and when to say it that's initiated by the Lord is great strength. Do you know shutting your mouth can be great strength? Jesus answered them not a word when it's the time. In the book of Philippians, it says that our peace, now that I open my mouth, let's find it. I need my digital Bible. It is in Philippians chapter 1. It says this powerful statement, in no way be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them. When you are not alarmed by your opponent, whoever, whatever that is, that's a sign to your opponent of destruction. And you can do it without a word. See, our weapons are not of this world. They're spiritual. They're not natural. In no way be alarmed by your opponents. This is first, uh, this is first Philippians. Philippians 1, chapter 28, or verse 28, 128. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too from God. Isn't that powerful? Our peace. Peace is a weapon. Peace is spiritual warfare. See, the enemy always wants to get us riled up in the emotions because then we're right out of the spirit and we'll start making decisions by our soul and not by the spirit of God what we think, maneuvering, feelings, how we feel about something. So Paul here is speaking about finances. He's taking an offering for Jerusalem Christians. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10 again. And I'm closing to give you hope that are in dire need. And he's addressing those who are opposing him. For though we walk in the natural, we do not war according to the natural. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the natural, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive, not just the sinful thoughts, not the evil thoughts, not the bad thoughts, not the nightmarish thoughts, every thought. Because the battlefield is between the years. Do you know... That God has called us to possess the land. And the first land he has given us authority to possess is this. 
our being. This is our first land. When man can control this, he cannot be defeated. What is a stronghold? It is something that has a strong hold on us. I know that's extremely profound. But what we want to do, and we'll talk about, because I'm going to close right now. What we want to do is we want to identify those strongholds in our life. A stronghold is, a demonic stronghold is a, safe, a, a place of safety and protection from, for demonic activity to launch their weapons at us. But we want to obliterate those and replace them with another stronghold, and it's called the stronghold of the Lord, which is a place of safety for us with the Lord. Strongholds of demonic strongholds involve two main things, darkness and their food. We've talked a lot about that because that's God gave them darkness to live in. Jude, the book of Jude tells us that. Genesis 3, he gave them food to eat, which is what? The dust of the earth, which is the dust is our bodies made out of, which is a representation of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, so when we are functioning and operating in the flesh or the natural, we are actually setting food for them. The way to get rid of them is not... I know I say this a lot, but I want to keep saying it because we have to understand this. It's not doing anything. I don't mean to be mean, but it's not helping. You cannot, biblically speaking, remove any demonic activity in your life or others by using the words, I bind you in Jesus' name. It does absolutely nothing. Nothing. It's not scriptural. Binding and loosing is always only used twice in Scripture, Matthew 16 and 18, and Jesus wasn't talking about binding and loosening demons in that way. If we think those magical words can be used, then we're really entering into witchcraft. The only way you can bind demons from having any effect, launching their attacks from their strongholds in your life is remove darkness and remove their food source. That's how you bind them from your life. The other ways that you can remove them from somebody else is by speaking to them and casting them out. That's biblically the way it's done, the way it's handled. Because if we, let's just say, you know, the whole binding and loose, I bind you. Well, how long are they bound? And what are they bound to? And why do we have to keep doing it? And, and Jesus didn't do it either. He didn't use that. And Paul talking about spiritual warfare here, he doesn't use binding and loosening. He doesn't bring that, hey, just say this phrase. It worked. That, that's not what he's saying. We have to give no quarter to the enemy, and it begins right here by the way we think. So how do we change this? Because really what we're talking about is we want to think like God thinks. We've got to start knowing what, how God thinks. How does God think about it? I mean, I've said, uh, you know, before, well, I just think this and I just believe that. Well, what's it based on? We've all probably been in Bible studies and somebody gets up and argues, well, I just believe, well, what do you, why? What, what's it based on? What's the truth? 
And truth is in really small supply these days. But what is the truth? Because that's the belt. First piece of our armor we put on is truth. Did you have something, Steve? That's right. We have to go after it and we have to, what is it, like I was asking the question about the talents that God provides us in, and I said, which one are you? And he said, well, I'm two. No, you're the one because you don't do anything. <laughs> you sit around and wait for it to happen, and it never happens. You've got to go out there and do it. And he's given us all the tools. Yeah. Yeah. Since he brought that up, I'll just finish with this, okay? I know I've said that. How many times? Five. Wit four. Thanks for counting. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned and they lost Zoe life, not only did corruption set in, but something else set in in humanity, and it's an orphan spirit. And I really believe we see that in a massive way today, that so many people because that, that has affected our personal identity in who and what we really are. And so many people today want somebody else to take care of stuff. That's an orphan spirit. You, and, and, and who steps in? Some, something or somebody's going to step into that vacuum. Well, governments. Marxist, communist-type governments will give you socialistic stuff. We'll do this for you. We'll do that for you. They step in to be mom and dad. And then they make it worse with the education and all the things that are going on. I don't want to get into all of that today. But we have this orphan spirit that has caused a slave mentality. And that's what the children of Israel had. They spent 430 years as slaves. They were set free in one night. And the journey was what we're really talking about, that sanctification from Egypt to the promised land was there, that journey through the... Because where'd they go? They went through a desert. Where did Jesus go when he got baptized? Desert. What happens in deserts? Training. Retraining. Thinking. This journey through the desert to the promised land was the removal of slave mentality and the gaining of sonship. And they rejected it. And sons inherit. Slaves do not. You cannot possess land with an orphan slave mentality. It won't happen. You're ill-equipped. You wouldn't know what to do with it if you got it. You wouldn't. You'd squander it. Or you wouldn't even access it. And that's where so many Christians are today. They're praying and asking God to give them what God said he's already given to them. You know what that is? It's a, it's a slave mentality. Slaves are always begging. Just read uh, Luke 15, the prodigal son story. 
the slave is always, give me this, give me that, do this, I've done this for you, and you should do this, and all of these kinds of things, and not functioning and living as a son. It's all mine. Because we've been hammered, you're just a sinner saved by grace, right? You're just a sinner, you're just a slimy little worm is all you are. Yeah. And this is all part of retraining. Because, you know, this whole identity thing has been a lifelong journey since, you know, the Lord has been imparting this into me. Because when I had my business, those of you that haven't heard the story, and he had me sell everything. Exactly. I'm standing in my shop with most of my stuff gone that I, I work. I didn't ever get a loan to buy all that. I worked hard and bought every piece of equipment with my own money. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying this was a difficult thing. When you've worked hard to get all this equipment to work on motorcycles, to run a shop, and you've worked hard to get it, and you got it, now God says you've got to get rid of it. That's not an easy thing. And I didn't know anything else to do. And when most of it was gone, he said, now who are you? Well, I didn't realize what was happening. My, all of my identity was wrapped up in being a business owner and a motorcycle mechanic. So therefore, every time somebody said, that was a great job, I'm inflated. That's a bad job. I'm deflated. You're a great mechanic. Inflated. My bike's worse now. Deflated. Why? Because my identity was wrapped in what I was doing and not in what and who I am. It's a huge difference. Huge. But that all comes from this, changing the way we think. How does that, I got to believe what God says about me, not what everybody else is saying about me. That way I can, I can be on this level plane when I stick my foot in my mouth or when I do something great. You see, I'm not, because man, sometimes those downers, they're downers. Did you have something? Yeah. Yes. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And another thing about what would Jesus do? Another thing that it, it sounds good and what it sidesteps is, what is he telling you to do right now? Yeah, and, and he never did the same thing the same way all of the time.
Exactly, exactly. Yeah, something, I think it was a couple, two or three years ago, the Lord spoke to me about the unity thing, because that's big right now, is, is so many Christians are pursuing a spirit of unity, when the Bible is very careful to tell us we are supposed to be pursuing the, uh, the unity of the spirit. It's a big difference. Because I can't unify with anybody that is not unified with the spirit. Matter of fact, I won't. So it's not about a unity of the Spirit. It's about being unified with the Spirit. Then we can come together. And then there'll be peace. Exactly. Exactly. Love you guys. Thank you so much for who you are. Father, I pray for each individual in here. If anybody is dealing with any sickness or disease in their body, I pray that their faith would not fail them. They would grow strong in faith, strong in grace. They would walk in complete and total healing, physically, mentally, spiritually, in, any, in every way. Father, if there is struggle with finances, Lord God, that you would speak clearly, they would have ears to hear. Father, I thank you so much that, Father, this congregation has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, and they have eyes to see, and they have a heart of courage and boldness to do what you're showing them and speaking to them to do. Father, may everything that we say and everything we do bring glory to your holy name. Amen.